Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. And you are watching AM to DM. Okay, uh, we wanted to start this morning by asking you, Twitter, um, how are you feeling uh, after yesterday's nearly nine-hour Kavanaugh-Ford hearing? Uh, that was a transformative moment in American history, and I would argue in a lot of our lives. Um, and so we want to know how you're feeling because we want to include you in the conversation this morning as we unpack what happened yesterday and, of course, talk about what's happening now and what comes next. Yeah, so listen, a lot of people were sharing their stories yesterday. For example, Claire Jeffrey of Mother Jones pointed out people call, calling into C-SPAN with their own rape stories. And I saw a lot of this on the timeline yesterday. Yeah. I saw a lot of it in my personal life yesterday. Um, it was an incredibly difficult day for survivors, for women. We said it on the show yesterday. It needs to be said again. Yeah, absolutely. Listen. Most of, the, most of us know, if not one or many people, uh, who are survivors of sexual assault and violence. You may not know their experiences, but I guarantee people in your life uh, had a difficult day yesterday. You might be one of those people. I am too. Um, and so it, it, it was difficult watching C-SPAN, watching a 72 or 76-year-old woman call in and talk about her experience being sexually assaulted in the second grade. It's difficult watching Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, you know, recount being held down on a bed and, and the trauma when um, you know, you have uh, senators like Lindsey Graham using language like, we're going to win, mm -hmm. as if this is a football game. Mm -hmm. It's as, hard. As if this is a game. And again, talking about Blasey Ford, recollecting that these memories may not have stood out mm -hmm. to those accused. These memories might have been something that they just brushed by. We have a control room full of women. We have so many women in our lives and so many survivors in our lives. So we want to take a moment to talk about it. So please, just let us know how you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to ask, how are you feeling? I'm exhausted. I mean, I, I'm just really tired. I'm, I'm drained. I, I miss my friends. I love my job. I love that we have an opportunity to engage these questions. But really, if I had my, my option, I would just be sitting with my friends today, yesterday, uh, experiencing this with them mm -hmm. because um, it's just hard. And I think it's, it's, it makes me sad to know, you know, we're all going through this and we also have to do our jobs and go about our business. And trying to support one another and be there for one another. Yeah, what about you? I mean, for me, listen, the word for me is triggered, mm. all right? And, and again, I know we're talking about, we're seeing other people in our lives having it too, but I myself, after watching that, after looking at the timeline, after watching the hearing, I found myself reacting to things differently yesterday. I found myself getting angry, irrational, um, ups upset, easily overcome. I think there was, it was just such an emotional day and today, is going to be no different. Right, we have a tweet here from Sarah Bella. I'm so sick and tired of being angry. Miss Jones, you say, surprise, numb, rage. Happy to be in therapy next week. Gratitude for my friends who sent links to fluffy fan fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> well, here's what we know for now. The Senate Judiciary Committee is meeting underway. Democrats apparently have just walked out in protest. Yeah, uh, so the vote they're trying to hold this morning is only its recommendation to the Senate, all right? It is not the confirmation vote, but it could tell us something about how the actual confirmation might go. But again, we are getting reports that Democrats are actually walking out of that. Yeah. For now, though, let's try to unpack what the hell happened yesterday, because so much did. Here's a tweet from Jessica Valenti. America's history of choosing between a composed, informed woman and a sputtering, belligerent man is not giving me a tremendous amount of faith tonight. Jessica Valenti, author of the memoir Sex Object, joins us now. Jessica, good morning. Good morning. Bad morning. Yeah. It's morning. <laughs> Bad morning. Yeah. Morning. So I wanted to ask you, Jessica, what stood out to you about Dr. Blasey Ford's testimony yesterday? I mean, there were there were a couple of things. Um, the thing that stood out most for me was the thing that stood out most for her when she recounted her assault, which was the laughing. Right. Um, and this idea that these two men were having a really good time at her expense. And I think a lot of women know that feeling and understand that feeling. Um, and Isaac, you said something that I thought was was really important that like to some of these men, this is not like a major moment in their life and, and maybe a moment that they've easily forgotten. And I think that that's a really difficult emotional hurdle for a lot of assault and harassment survivors is knowing that this thing, this, this event that happened that has sometimes completely changed the trajectory of your life is more often than not like a, a nothing, you know, moment for, for the, the, 
than who did it. Yeah. Um, another question about her uh, testimony. I was struck, of course, she is a professor of psychology. She is well-versed uh, in the science uh, of, of mental health and psychology. So could you talk about that? I mean, I, I, it was like, it was affirming, actually, to hear her so eloquently use that language. Yeah, it was sort of amazing because she was an expert, right? Like she was, she was a witness and she was recounting her own experience, but she was also an expert in memory. And so she came across as so credible, not just because she was clearly telling the truth and, and emotional and this was something that had impacted her life, but she had the information for why some things uh, she remembered and some things that she didn't remember. And the other thing that really stuck out for me about her testimony was how accommodating she was, right? Like she, she apologized multiple times. She, she said multiple times that she just wanted to be helpful. Um, and it stood in such stark contrast to what we saw later in the afternoon with, with Judge Kavanaugh's testimony uh, that it was, it was really hard not to think about the rest of the night. It was very, very stark. So let's talk Kavanaugh. Here's a tweet from Alana Hope Levinson. Men convincing everyone they are less emotional and unhinged than women is one of the greatest scams. Oh my goodness, such a scam. Um, well, after the poise, as you mentioned, of Dr. Blasey Ford, of course, Kavanaugh totally deviated from his prepared statement yesterday, came out of the gate hot. I mean, yelling, sputtering, lips quivering, crying. Uh, Jessica, what did you make of all of that from Kavanaugh? I mean, it, the, the, the first thing in my mind was it was hard to imagine if Dr. Blasey Ford had come out acting that way that we wouldn't have like put her in a straight jacket and gotten her out of the room, mm. right? Like this idea that like, anyone but, uh, you know, a, a very elite white man could act that way and be taken seriously still, um, it, was, it was just unbelievable. But to me, it was so representative of the moment. Um, and, and I'm very all about this right now. He really embodied to me, he was, he was the face of, of male backlash, of, of entitled male rage. He couldn't believe he had to be there. He couldn't believe that he was being asked to be held accountable for these accusations. He acted as if it was beneath him to answer questions. Um, and it wasn't hard in those moments and in those exchanges to see the Brett Kavanaugh that his college friends have described as, as belligerent um, and nasty. Belligerent, nasty, um, and kind of as if this seat was owed to him. Mm. I, I wanted to I wanted to ask, were you surprised by how partisan Kavanaugh was? Not only did he come out angry, but he came out incredibly partisan. Yeah, that did surprise me. I was not, I was not expecting that. He, I mean, he went right out of the gate attacking Democrats, bringing up like the Clintons. It sounded almost like, like an Alex Jones type conspiracy rant. Um, and it's especially someone who is claiming to be, you know, this, this sort of impartial judge who can go and decide on, on, on the biggest cases in our country, it was it was a shocking display. It was shocking. Um, we also wanted to discuss the interaction between Kavanaugh and Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. It was stunning. Let's play a clip first. So, so you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened? That's You're asking about, yeah, blackout. I don't know, have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just so you—that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. And I'm curious if you have. Jessica Kavanaugh mentioned beer, how much he loves beer, drinking beer with his friends, asking senators if they like beer around 30 times yesterday. Were you surprised to see so much beer talk, sometimes with tears, in a job interview? Not to mention that confrontation that he just did with that senator? Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted, like, jokingly, it sounded like he was doing a beer commercial at one point. But, yeah, the, the confrontation in particular I found really interesting. And I thought it was notable that every time someone asked him about drinking, about passing out, about this idea of, of, of blacking out or not remembering things, he became so defensive. Um, and I... I thought that it was telling, honestly. I wanted to ask you about something a lot of women pointed out, a lot of survivors pointed out. Um, men who cry um, and then very quickly veer into being, as we've noted, belligerent and aggressive. Um, when we think about gender, I, I just, can we talk about that and make space for that? Yeah, I mean, again, he is the kind of person who's allowed to cry and still be taken seriously, right? Like. His tears are, are real tears. They're not like 
emotional hysterical tears. They're serious judge tears. Um, we're, women are, I mean, I, I'm sure that you guys remember when Hillary Clinton way back in the day, like didn't even cry. She like welled up, right? It was news for weeks as, as proof of her sort of like unfitness and over emotional nature. Um, but with Judge Kavanaugh, it's, it's being talked about on the right, at least, as proof of his passion uh, and, and innocence, which, frankly, I think is absurd. Whew. Well, uh, here's another tweet from you, Jessica. It's a doozy. Kavanaugh literally just gave us the some of my best friends have been raped line. Wow. Um, so, so what did you make? Um, and then Kamala Harris, of course, drew attention to this as well. Kavanaugh insisting on like, listen, he has a lot of friends, all of his backers. He's had so many female clerks. And therefore, that should somehow make it impossible for him to have ever assaulted a woman. Right. It was a lot. Um, this idea that you can list off women in your life that you have not raped or have not tried to rape or have not exposed your penis to, and that means that you've never done it to anyone else, um, it, was, it was pretty ridiculous, and I think that he knows that it was ridiculous, and I think Kamala Harris you know, saw right through that. But I think it goes to show what his sort of strategy was again and again, just not answering questions pointing to these letters, which are meaningless and, and have no real standing and prove nothing. Um, and, and again and again, pointing out, I went to Yale. I was, you know, captain of the football team or whatever it was, hockey team, whatever sport he played. You know, he just kept repeating his, his CV as if that was proof that he never could have done such a thing. His credentials uh, to, to explain away actions. I want to ask, we, we mentioned Kamala, Kamala Harris. What other senators do you think actually did a good job questioning Judge Kavanaugh yesterday? I mean, I think it, it was Kamala Harris. I thought um, Senator Booker did a great job. Um, I would have liked to see more from everyone holding him accountable for the lies that he was telling, right? This idea, he, I mean, he really just lied straight out about the yearbook, this Renata alumnus thing saying, oh, it just meant that we were good friends and she was, you know, one of the group. It was such an obvious, absurd lie. Um, and I wanted to see more of that saying, well, of course, this is not true. I wanted to see people holding him to account because it's, I mean, I really hate to say it, but it was obvious that it was that, that the allegations against him were not sort of impacting people in the way that you would want. And so maybe at least we can hold him accountable for the lies that he told. Mm. Well, as you've noted, uh, so much of yesterday comes down to credibility. Who gets to be believed? Uh, upon seeing Kavanaugh's testimony, the wonderful Anne Helen Peterson here at BuzzFeed News tweeted this. This is the behavior of white male privilege under siege. And here's a tweet from Moira Donegan. Watching this hearing, her solicitous, patient, him belligerent, interrupting with non sequiturs is a crash course in how gendered our notions of acceptable behavior are. Jessica, what do you think would have happened yesterday if Dr. Blasey Ford had actually acted the way Judge Kavanaugh did? I mean, we wouldn't have found her believable at all, right? I, I really do think that the only reason that she was found so credible by, by folks on both sides of the aisle um, was that she did sort of project, um, and this I don't say this to lessen her um, authority or expertise, she did project a very sort of traditionally feminine, um, deferent, uh, polite attitude, which made it difficult for the Republicans to attack her, right? Um, they knew that if they said anything negative against her, it would look it would look absolutely awful. But if she deviated from that just a little bit, I, I, I just can't imagine the conversation that we would be having today. Can't imagine the conversation we'd be having today, but instead we are having this one. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us this morning. All right, now we are going to go live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Uh, everything, it seems, is happening <laughs> in D.C. right now. Uh, Tarini, good morning. Good morning, guys. All right, it's all over the timeline. I'm seeing it as I'm checking my phone. We have to talk about Senator Jeff Flake. He, of course, uh, just about 30 minutes ago, announced that he will be voting yes on Kavanaugh. Let's start with this. How surprising is this news from Jeff Flake? 
This is a really big deal. Last night when I was talking to my sources in Trump world and just uh, people who had been sort of close to this confirmation process, uh, the name that I heard repeatedly was Jeff Flake. That was someone that they were focused on. And even though that uh, many Trump allies felt that Kavanaugh had sort of turned the situation around uh, with his opening statement and in the way he had responded to Senator's questions, they were still concerned whether or not it was going to be enough for someone like Jeff Flake. So that was a name I heard repeatedly. And then, of course, 30 minutes ago, as you said, he just announced that he will, in fact, be voting for uh, Judge Kavanaugh. He uh, said that at the end of the day, um, you know, this is that there, there wasn't enough to the allegations that um, made him change his mind. And he had decided beforehand, before these allegations um, came about, that he would be supporting uh, Brett Kavanaugh. So not changing his mind. Well, here's a tweet from Guardian reporter Sabrina, Sabrina Siddiqui. A rape victim confronts Jeff Flake in the Senate elevator. Don't look away from me, she says through tears. Look at me and tell me that it doesn't matter what happens to me. What is the mood like right now on Capitol Hill? Yeah, I think that was a really powerful moment that, uh, of course, was everyone saw on CNN this morning. And I think throughout the day, we're going to see a lot of emotions. It's a very charged atmosphere right now. Uh, there's a Judiciary Committee hearing going on, and um, some Democrats have walked out. Other House Democrats came into the hearing and have been standing up in protest. So we're seeing a lot of um, just, uh, you know, tough conversations and um, just a very emotional day of throughout D.C. today. Very much so. We have a tweet here from Rachel Hay Girlfield. Flake is living up to his last name. Um, let's talk about the other Republican senators this morning, though. Do we have any indications um, about, you know, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, people who have been, you know, kind of framed as swing votes on this confirmation? We don't really know which way they're leaning, but um, you know we know that they they spoke with Senator Jeff Flake last night, and they kind of had been huddling before the this conference meeting that took place. Um, so you know one can presume that they've been in touch and discussed how they feel about um, the hearing yesterday and if the allegations um, changed anything for them. Um, so we have not heard from their offices yet or anything that they've said, but um, obviously those are two uh, two women who could be deciding whether or not Brett Kavanaugh makes it to the, onto the Supreme Court. Whew, weighty decision. Um, also in the news this morning, because the news just doesn't stop, is a report from Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow that shows Republican Senate staff stymied an effort to have Deborah Ramirez testify yesterday. Will that have any impact on the vote today? It doesn't seem like it. At this point, Republicans seem determined to just make it through this process and get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed. I think the consensus here is uh, to speed up this process, get it done as quickly as possible. Um, and there was also discussion about, um, you know, allegations from uh, someone like Ramirez um, yesterday. And it, I think what we heard from Republicans was that this clear sort of indication that they don't think um, that her allegations are as credible or as strong as um, what we heard from Christine Blasey Ford. Well, Tarini, uh, as the dust settles and then maybe gets kicked up again um, after yesterday's hearing, what do we know about the consensus from the White House? Um, a lot of people, of course, were speculating on Twitter about how Trump might be perceiving and receiving uh, Kavanaugh's uh, testimony in particular. So we know I was in touch with a lot of Trump allies as the hearing was going on. And the first half of the hearing, there was a lot of concern. A lot of people thought that Brett Kavanaugh's nomination was basically over, that he might be forced to withdraw. The president, we know, was not happy with the way that that first half went. Uh, but we saw sort of a change when um, Kavanaugh gave his opening statement. A lot of uh, Trump allies and Republicans started to become more optimistic about where things were going. Uh, and at the end of the hearing, the the president tweeted that he was pleased with the way things went. He um, reportedly said at a fundraiser last night uh, that he thought Brett Kavanaugh could be confirmed, and he was very excited about how things had gone. Um, so we're, we're hearing a lot of confidence uh, from, from the White House today, and we've seen that reflected in the comments that uh, several White House officials have made on different uh, cable news uh, programs this morning. Trini, I want to ask, do we know what that moment was when, because I felt it too, I felt like a lot of uh, the right was very worried yesterday. Do we know when that moment was where they started to go from worried to optimistic? 
So in my conversations, I would say there were probably two of those moments. One was when Kavanaugh came out and gave his opening statement. I think there was this expectation that maybe he would kind of take on the same tone that he did during the Fox News interview, which a lot of Republicans, especially the president, felt like did not go so well for him. Um, so they thought that the way he came out in that sort of aggressive, almost yelling tone uh, was good for him because they feel like that's how someone would react ha if they were wrong accused. I thought the other moment was when Lindsey Graham um, sort of took over and did not yield his time to Rachel Mitchell, the prosecutor who the Republicans had been using for questioning. When he took over and started, um, you know, made this big claim that this was the, a political sham and, um, you know, got very red in the face and it was a big moment, I thought that kind of changed things as well because after Lindsey Graham, Republicans stopped yielding their time to Rachel Mitchell and started taking over themselves. Okay, so uh, Torini, of course, we were expecting uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee vote to take place earlier this morning. It sounds like now a tweet from uh, Paul McCloud, it will take place at 1.30 p.m. So Republicans in Congress, of course, love procedure. Can you kind of walk us through how uh, the next few hours or maybe even days are going to work? Sure. So given uh, what we've heard from Senator Flake this morning, it seems like the committee is going to be able to uh, vote Brett Kavanaugh out with a favorable recommendation, send it over to the Senate floor. Uh, you're right, the Senate loves procedure. So essentially, we're looking at a final vote around Tuesday uh, in, for Brett Kavanaugh. There'll be uh, some procedural votes perhaps on Saturday and Monday, but um, the final vote would be on Tuesday. Okay, one last question. Um, just in some of the last uh, day or so, did the Democratic Party miss an opportunity yesterday? I think that's going to be a big discussion, discussion in the next few days. Um, you know, you know, we've heard earlier on the show how uh, Senator Harris and Senator Booker really took on um, some of the, the hard questions in terms of pointing out potential lies uh, in, in the judge's testimony. But a lot of the, the questions seemed focused on the FBI investigation and why Brett Kavanaugh himself had not called uh, for an FBI investigation. And I think you've heard some, there's already been some discussion about whether or not that was a good tactic to sort of focus on one thing. And, you know, Republicans um, have argued that why would someone call an FBI investigation on themselves and sort of delay the process? So, you know, even if someone is innocent, they kind of would want to get this through as, as quickly as possible, especially if it has been taxing on, on someone's family, as the way Brett Kavanaugh described uh, the process has been on his. All right, well, Torini, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, obviously, going into this weekend and next week. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. We have a tweet here from Joe Lee. Everything that's unfolded in Washington over the past two years makes the TV show Scandal feel like educational TV. <laughs> Hashtag B613. Uh, of course, <laughs> this week has been a lot um, for everyone. Um, so we want to ask you also, how are you taking care of yourselves? What are you doing? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Yeah, because not only are you letting us know, you're also giving us tips, right? Yes. I wanted to ask. I Listen, you I noticed know. it's been about three different nights <laughs> just this week. I feel like I go on the timeline after work, mm -hmm. and you're buying plants. I'm buying plants. I've said before that I often, you know, like to buy a little succulent, you know, when I'm stressed out. Honey, last week or so, I have, I think in just one week I've bought like ten plants. What? Uh huh. And I was in the plant store last night, and I was explaining this. I've gone to like three different plant stores. I'm just crazy. I'm poison ivy, y'all. <laughs> uh, and I was saying to the the salesperson, like, I'm doing this. The news is crazy. It feels nice to bring life into my home. And and a woman behind me said, I'm doing the same thing. So I'm calling it indoor panic gardening. Mm. That's, that's the movement mm. I'm starting. Are you Hashtag doing? indoor panic gardening. I really like that. Are you How many plants total? No, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It's, it's getting up into the 20s. All right, I'm just keeping an eye <laughs> on that, man. Uh, no, I myself, I saw a lot of people talking about this. I, I took the time, I don't watch TV usually when it's live, but yesterday I was like, you know what, the good place is coming back. I'm gonna sit down, okay. I'm gonna put my phone down, I'm gonna watch TV mm. commercials and everything. Wow. And I watched the good You place. know shit's bad when millennials are watching TV with commercials. <laughs> All right, listen, up next, Ben Smith is speaking with Juanita Broderick. Stick around, it's gonna be a very uh, strong conversation there, and we'll be back with Fire Tweets. Yep. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined now by Juanita Broderick. 
The woman who says she was raped by then, the then Arkansas Attorney General Bill Clinton in 1978. Good morning, and thank you for joining us, Ms. Broderick. Um, hi, hi, Ben. Nice to, nice to talk to you. And, and, you know, I just wanted to give some context here, which is that you're talking primarily right now to an audience who's younger, who I think didn't follow politics in the 1990s, and who I think probably are inclined to believe your story. But I wonder if you could just tell them a little about what it was like in 1999 for you to come out and tell this story. Oh, Ben, it, it was so hard. And, and the main reason is I did not want to come out. I, I was frightened from the time that it happened until I was forced out by the Paula Jones lawsuit. I never wanted to come out. I was angry when uh, two investigators showed up on my front porch uh, one morning uh, for the Paula Jones suit. And they started to ask me questions about Bill Clinton. And I told these uh, investigators very, very adamantly that I did not want to be involved in this lawsuit. And I even told them uh, a little bit of what had happened to me and to please tell her attorneys that not to involve me in this lawsuit. Because I had seen what had happened to so many women and it was painful. It was painful to relive what happened to me. Well, come to find out these investigators uh, Rick and Beverly Lambert were recording our conversation and they took this uh, conversation back to the Paula Jones attorneys and it was shortly thereafter that I was uh, uh, deposed, uh, sent, a, sent a letter that I was going to be deposed by the Paula Jones lawsuit. And now when you... So when you it, it was... A, um, go ahead. When, you, when your story became public, um, Democrats, leading feminists, dismissed it, called you a liar. How did that feel? Oh, it was hurtful. It was so painful because I had been forced out. I'd had to talk about what had happened to me. And then, then it's just splattered, you might say, on the media. And then the media, which was predominantly pro-Clinton, uh, took this and attacked me and called me a liar, Call me, I was part of the nuts and sluts campaign of the White House. I was part of the campaign when Carville said you can drag a dollar bill through a trailer park and see what you come up with. That's how we were treated. And now when you, and you, I think, I was looking back at your Twitter and you've cared about stories about women, followed these stories. I noticed, I think a couple years ago, you tweeted, I still believe Anita Hill. Do you still believe Anita Hill? You know, at this moment, I, I, what I remember is how taken I was with Anita Hill and how compassionate I was about Anita Hill. I haven't gone back to it, but my sorrow for that woman back in uh, whenever that occurred was, was uh, very true and very real. And, and you, now you're in Washington. You tweeted yesterday. Just landed in D.C. I'm with Amy Kramer with Women for Trump. We'll be at the hearing tomorrow on the vote Friday to stand with Brett Kavanaugh. And I wonder, after watching Dr. Ford's testimony, after watching Brett Kavanaugh's testimony, do you still stand with Kavanaugh? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I absolutely stand with him. Dr. Ford's allegations and testimony just didn't uh, sit very well with me. They, it wasn't what I went through. And, and there was not evidence that I had uh, and made very much available. Uh, there, there was none of that. And uh, I'm sure this woman might have suffered something horrific back then. Uh, I have no idea what, whether she did or not. But I, I really don't think it was Brett Kavanaugh. And, um, I, I really believe in Brett Kavanaugh. And, and now neither you nor I was there in 1982, but I wonder, I mean, do you worry that you're, I, I believe you're, you as you say that, that you, you know, that that is your honest personal impression, but do you worry that you're doing to her what people did to you, which is acting based on, you know, who they want to believe on both sides? Oh, exactly. And people are going to have to believe what they want to believe. But I believe in due process, Ben, and I believe in evidentiary uh, information. 
I had everything in the world. I had the who, what, where, the time, the date, and the how, and everything. And there's none of that with uh, Dr. Ford. And um, now do you, just to step back a little, do you worry at all that sure. you've, the, Donald Trump and Republicans in the last few years were the first people to come out and really say they believe you in a big public way. And I, I, real, I think that's a meaningful thing and I don't want to make light of it. But I wonder if you, if you worry at all that there's a tension between being somebody who feels really loyal to the conservative movement right now and being somebody who wants to stand up for women who are going to be assaulted by men of either party. Oh, I, I really have no idea. And as far as uh, being a, a, uh, a conservative, I, I really think of myself as more as being for the man who I think can do the most for our country. I, I voted for Barack Obama. I, I uh, contributed to his campaign. Uh, I, but before that, I voted for George Bush. Uh, to me, it's it's less the party than it is f for what the man can do for our country. And do you not? And I felt like Donald Trump. No, go ahead. I felt like Donald Trump was the person that could do that. I honestly felt that, Ben. I I did not vote for this man to be my pastor or my faith advisor. I voted for this man to help our country. He was a tremendous businessman, and I felt like he was the right man for the job. And did you not believe the women who made accusations, or did you just weigh that against that you thought he could do the job? Oh, it's like the tweet that I made back then, that I felt that actions speak louder than words. M Mr. Trump said some horrible things when that Hollywood Access tape came out, but at the same time, I had proof to show that I'd been raped by Bill Clinton, and I had been threatened by Hillary Clinton, and uh, I, where are these women now? You know, where are the women that came forward against President Trump? I mean, I think a lot of them are still there. But in any case, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story here. Thank you so much. Fire! Fire! Everyone say it with me. Phew! <laughs> I, I tweeted this, Ben mm. knows how I feel. I feel that I'm having an out-of-body experience. This is all very, very complicated, and I don't judge how anyone, you know, does their experience, but it's just, this is a lot to be processing in real time, and now we're gonna read some funny tweets. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> we say it's like, oh, it's fire tweets, it's exciting. Now this is almost like, this is almost a burn it all down. Fever dream. Palate cleanser. I'm gonna wake up in a hospital bed any moment now. Oh, okay. <laughs> first tweet. It's been 20 years. <laughs> I got a gray years. beard. Yo, oh I'm God. like standing You're next my to hand. Yeah, that's all right. Well, this tweet comes from Thin Lizzie. Let's go. Every day I think this will be the thing that finally makes me hurl a wine bottle against the wall. And every day my restraint amazes me. Woo! Shout out to you, Thin Lizzie. Yeah! Listen to your <laughs> shout out to your restraint, girl. Yeah, because I feel like there are more than a couple of people with some broken wine bottles. Yeah. 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 Uh, Secret is to have a lot of books. It's good to throw a book. <laughs> less, less. Less, less breakable. <laughs> All right, here we go. Libkin, you tweeted recording voicemail. Hi, Mom. Leave a message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, do anyone but parents no, use voicemail? I'm sorry. I'm going to out myself. Do it, it should be, hi, mom, and, and or Isaac, leave you a message. Leave I do, I still leave voicemails. Why? Just send a text. I just love phone calls. You know, I, you've texted me before. You've and never I, left me a voicemail. And I hit you back. That's because you probably don't listen to them. That's true. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I don't think I've set up my voice. In, I bet you there's just all these lovely voicemails from a long, like, 45 <laughs> wow. second, maybe even wow. a minute. Uh, probably. <laughs> Is that allowed? Anyway, this tweet comes from Heather. It's the weekend, baby. You know what that means. It's time to drink precisely one beer and write it on my calendar. Mmm. 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 Sarah at the bank, holding up $2. Yes, I will need a checking and a savings account. And that's 
That's the mood. That's late capitalism is fun. <laughs> Man, back in the day. Back yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. Um, we have a tweet here from Pix Maven. Please cleanse the timeline. We're trying. We're doing our best. <laughs> we're, we're, do- we're doing our best. We're doing our best. <laughs> okay, want some more? Yeah. This tweet comes from Key Ran. Key Ran. Okay, here we go. I don't know too many of us who could survive the crying while talking about how much you love portion, beer portion of the interview, and still get the job. Yeah. Woo. All right, Key Ran. Wasn't that real? That was that was a lot. And just to Jessica Valenti's point, to add one more step, imagine if it was a woman who was doing it. Yeah. And not only, I mean, she said it. She was like, not only would she not have gotten the job, she would have been like taken away in a straitjacket. Do you feel like beer was canceled yesterday? I've never liked beer. Okay. I don't know her. Look at that. All right, let's <laughs> let's do this tweet of the day. You ready? Right, let's go. Tweet of the day from Chris Kelly. Sometimes it feels like Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are the only ones having a good year. <laughs> Let's talk about that, because, you know. I am so ready to see A Star is Born. (laughs) A Star is Born because all the other stars have died. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy it's Friday, baby. I'm going to give you such a big hug after this. I'm feeling punchy. You're getting there. You're getting there. Letting it out. All right. Up next, you get to see Isaac's interview with David Allen Greer. Yeah, man. That's pretty fun. We wore matching outfits. We seriously did. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with David Allen Greer, comedy legend, Tony nominee, and star of the new show, The Cool Kids. Good morning, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. We were doing Jack We are, Bob. right, we are matching. Did Lee. you write me a memo? Uh-uh. I didn't write you a memo. No, this is just our style. This just happened. Look at this. Beard. I'm loving the beard. I just want to say that. Let me just tell you something. I don't know if you know this, but mm. <clears throat> I read an article where it said they found inordinate amounts of poo in men's beards. So when I started growing this out, Mm. I wash it two or three times a day. You were just constantly. Exactly, I'm trying to circumvent the poo narrative. Well, let me me tell you, I read that same article. (laughs) I read that same article. Here's the thing. They could have been more helpful. They didn't say how it got there. (laughs) But I think we all know. uh, Well, that's the the truth. I don't mean to blow your mind here. But it turns out it's just kind of everywhere. So don't listen to that article too much. So this is a filter. Don't make it shave it. Don't don't shave it, baby. No, I'm trying to see how big it'll get. Would you go? Would you go real big I'm going. I'm going wherever God takes me. (laughs) On my beard quest. My daughter hates it. Your daughter, okay, your your younger daughter hates it. Yeah, she's 10. She's like, Daddy, you look like Grandpa. Does it feel scratchy? No, it just looks like I have an afro on my chin. No, man. She doesn't like the look. Let me tell you, I think the look is great. And let's talk about cool kids, though, right? The whole point of the show. That's why I'm really growing it. It's these people in a retirement community who aren't acting their age. Well, they're acting like old people, first of all. Old people do everything we do. They just do it slower. <laughs> and they're wilding out, but at a slower pace. I don't know if your grandparents, your parents are alive. It's usually when we go and interact with older people, you're not trying to bust them. Uh-huh. You're trying to reinforce. Grandma, make me those string beans. Grandma, let's go to church. You're not going, <laughs> Grandma, who you sneaking up on. Right. So, but Grandma is sneaking up on people. There is a lot of action, a lot of activity. <laughs> it's a lot of okay. action. Okay, you gotta think about old people's brains. Like, when my mom, when she was alive, you know, uh-huh. she, was, she wasn't feeling well, so she missed church. Uh-huh. She called me and my brother, she said, now, boys, I need you to call Mr. Johnson. He's my church friend. <gasps> He'll be expecting me. So you need to call him and tell him I'm not gonna be at church. So me and my brother are like, church friend? <laughs> You talking about your friend at church? You know, something like that. <laughs> See, that's old people. That's the old people hookup line. They just keep it on the DL. They exactly. Keep, keep so it normally, like, oh, grandma's grandma got a church friend. Yeah, no, grandma's she's just going up. to visit Mr. Johnson, exactly. her church friend. She was trying to tell us something. <laughs> you <Plus> yourself <laughs> are obviously far too young to be actually in a retirement home. Yeah, but, but you but, are but, anything but retired. <laughs> you are constantly doing work. But with makeup, <laughs> I can be. That's but with a beard. Is there anything you're learning from this character? Is there anything you're taking away from the project? Well, I mean, I think the recurring theme for Vicky and Leslie and Martin, all of us, is um, we don't want to be sad old. Mm -hmm. You understand? Mm -hmm. We're not trying to be 
I, I think in the first, in the pilot, I say very early on, I didn't come here to die. Mm -hmm. I came here to live. Mm -hmm. So that's really, it, if there's any theme of the show, that's really the theme, that life goes on mm. and they are vibrant. Yeah. I mean, please, when my mom hit 90, she said, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> 90's not that old. I was like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. So She's like, I'm just getting end. started. What are some of the ways your mom inspired you when she was going through that? Because that's, that's amazing. Um, she exercised three or four times a week. Mm. It was very slow, mm. but I remember she took me to the gym. I had to watch her. I was like, okay, mom, get it, girl. <laughs> okay, mom, look at you. I see you, mama. <laughs> Okay, you know, every machine. She was that person, she would do it, then she did a 10 minute cleanup with the paper towel uh -huh. and thing. then she hit the next minute. She was better than me, I need to use her as an example. I was about to say, man, man come on. I didn't get to the gym three times this week. No, every time, she didn't smoke, she didn't drink. Mm -hmm. I heard her say damn once and mm -hmm. hell when she got really angry. <laughs> so those are the keys, and also church. Yeah. Church. So and, I don't and, do and none Mr. Johnson, yeah. also getting a church friend. Yeah, I do, I do have a friend. <laughs> Okay, Miss So and So, but all the rest I'm a heathen. First, I, I ain't been to church since a funeral, so no, I don't. I, I should listen to her. Th there it is, and that's yes. the, and leading by example. You've had such an epic career, Thank such you. an incredible, incredible career. Um, as you are getting a little older, though, mm -hmm. what, is there any advice you give to a younger self, or is there anything you're taking away? Um, are you enjoying it? Are you getting different roles I that am. you love? Well, you know, I, I think. Um, for a while, I was stuck in the view of others. They perceived me as being younger. I'm 62 years mm -hmm. old. So I really wasn't getting these older roles. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of feel like I've crossed that precipice. And I had to tell everybody, I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to play the old black daddy. <laughs> I'm ready, hook me up. Put me in, coach. Put me in. But even going in cool, because they went, David? I went, no, man, this is how old I am. And so uh, I'm reveling in it. It is just, I don't feel uh, 62, but uh -huh. I just feel great. I'm really happy. Um, I, I didn't know that at, at my age right now, I would my career would be thriving like it is. Mm. But I also feel at this point in my life, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, and I don't feel that pressure to take a job just because I, 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 I feel like I'm not going to work again. I mean, I've mm. finally gotten to the point where I feel like the industry kind of knows who I am. And um, so I walk in with that confidence, that's all. But it's taken me a long time. Yeah. You do share a lot of wild stories I on do. Twitter. I you do. find crazy news stories and you share them. <laughs> you say you tweet out wild stories with a caption, it happens. I know, it's being funny, don't it? It's very funny, it makes me laugh all the time. I'm with you, I'm reading this stuff, I'm like, what? What is happening? So we're gonna play a game right now. Okay. Okay? Right. You're gonna tell me if it happens okay. or it didn't happen. Kind of okay. a real no news, fake news thing. All right, you ready? I got this, yeah, go. You got this? All right. Mm. Six Flags offering cash prize to spend 30 hours in a coffin. It happens. It happens. See? Is that crazy? I wouldn't do it. What about for 3,000? No, 30 hours? <laughs> That means some kind, uh, you gotta prepare your body. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, you gotta drain the pipes. <laughs> you gotta get your mind right. 30 hours. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm good, I'm good. I would wanna see the small print. Can we yeah, bring snacks? I could do it for 300,000. Yeah, 300,000. All right, deal. <laughs> and also living in Paris. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. All right, guy tries to buy toy poodles. Yeah. Gets fluffy, steroid-pumped giant ferrets instead. That didn't happen. My, you're wrong. Really? It happens. But who's stupid enough to think a ferret? <laughs> Do they have a picture? Do we have a picture of I the steroid? I want to see this fuzzy ferret. Oh, I think we, sh we showed it. We showed it. I'll show it to you. After. There we go. Wow. Where they actually did a pretty good job. Okay. All right. Well, That's I really corrected. Sorry. All right. You ready? Yes. Go ahead. Store caught sticking googly eyes on fish. That happened. To make them look that fresh. Happened. That happens. It happens. You're yes. absolutely right. But where was the store? I forget. Well, it wasn't in Jersey. It was, right? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't here no. in New York. No. Uh, new startup out of Silicon Valley, Lyft for dogs. Yes, that happens. Doesn't happen, but I've got a business deal for you. All right, I've what? just got a proposition. What do you, don't you think it's a good idea? You and I me? used a service like that in LA. Really? Yeah, but then the driver came one day. I think he was suffering from DTs because he was really sweaty. Uh -huh. He smelled like vodka, and he said there was a snake that was following him. I was like, okay, man. 
Yeah, I'm not trusting I you with my dog. dog. Back in the house. I'm, about to get up out of here. I'm, I'm serious. He was yeah. really like, no. You're like, no. I, yeah, I use a, you gotta, I use a pet taxi. You got to protect, protect your pets. Yeah, I can't have you out there. You ready for this last one? Go ahead, I'm going to get this one. David Allen Greer dove into Issa Rae's mentions after she tweeted, I need a new crush. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I love Issa Rae. It was a joke. It was a joke. I love Issa Rae. Say it to the camera. You love Issa Rae. Issa, I love you. I was kidding around. But you know the internet, they got no chill. They got no chill. No chill. Everything is factual on the internet. They got to grow some of this. That's right. Get that beard knowledge. Get into it. Get that beard knowledge. Yes, sir. My man. Thank you so much. Congrats on the new show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. The Cool Kids premieres tonight on Fox. Don't miss it. More Aim to DM is up next. Welcome back, friends. Here's a tweet from Seth. Y'all, how do we rally together to stop all of these scam calls? Everyone seems to have the same story as me. Multiple calls per day, every day, local numbers. This has been happening to me too, Seth, and that's why we're doing this segment. Okay, so a report claims that almost half of all phone calls will be spam by 2019, just next year. Uh, Jake Swearingen, best name ever, uh, tech writer at New York Magazine, joins me now to talk about this. Hi. Good morning. Okay, so this has been driving me crazy. Uh, and so I was so excited you um, have been, you know, we can talk about this. What's responsible for the dramatic rise in spam calls in the last few years? Uh, basically two things. Uh, the biggest thing is voice over internet protocol. So the same thing that uh, allows me to do this uh, phone call or video call with you or do a Google Hangout or do a call over Wi-Fi uh, has made it tremendously cheap to place a phone call from anywhere in the world. It allows you to Skype somebody when they're in another country, et cetera, et cetera. But it also means that you can basically set up a call center anywhere in the world uh, using a couple of PCs and place thousands of phone calls uh, for relatively nothing, uh, you know, a couple of cents. Uh, and then the other big thing is that for years, it's been possible to spoof a phone number very easily. Um, this used to make a lot of sense. Uh, say a hospital was going to call you. Uh, you would want just a one number for the hospital, not the specific extension uh, that the hospital was calling from. But uh, phone number spoofing allows for phone spammers to just... Uh, go buck wild on you, basically. Yeah, and that's exactly what's been happening. A lot of numbers with like my area code and the first three digits of my phone number. Um, How does neighborhood spoofing make it even harder to block or stop these annoying calls? I mean, neighborhood spoofing is a real problem, particularly if you still, you know, if you have a cell phone number uh, from where you're actually still living. Um, Because yeah, it'll look like, you know, you just don't know. You'll get a phone call and you think, well, this could be, you know, my neighbor, this could be the plumber, this could be the guy, you know, that I'm I'm waiting for to hear back on a job interview. Uh, Could be a lot of things. So you end up picking up, uh, every time you pick up, that just ups the likelihood that you're put on another list of phone numbers to call. Uh, These lists are shared around by spammers. it's uh, it's an active and real problem. Uh, you know, the FTC is very much aware of it, but there's really not a technological solution currently that uh, they can implement to really stop this. Okay, I saw one guy's experience on Twitter, and it freaked me out. Uh, this Twitter user claimed a scammer pretended to be his bank in order to get his financial information, um, and he had a whole thread about it. It was wild. Uh, is that something people need to be looking out for as well? Absolutely. Uh, I've gotten calls from, uh, I've gotten a spam phone call from the IRS claiming that I owed uh, about $10,000 in back taxes. Uh, That was, you know, obviously uh, not from the IRS, uh, knock on wood. Um, And uh, yeah, it's pretty common at this point for people to figure out how to spoof the number for an actual institution. Uh, Banking institution, financial institutions are popular, but also things like debt collection agencies, um, a lot of auto warranty stuff is really popular, uh, and you'll see these spam- these sort of scams going on uh, on a very regular basis. So uh, really make sure when you get a phone call from your bank that it's actually your bank calling you. Right. And people wonder why 20 and 30-somethings never talk on the phone. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the firm that did this study, uh, First Orion, uh, claims that they're developing technology that will help identify fake calls, which is great. Um, look forward to it. But in the meantime, is there anything we can actually do to stop the spam? Uh, I wish I could. This would be where I would say, yeah, sure. Uh, 
Not really. Uh, there are a couple of apps you can um, download that will kind of help. Uh, Nomo Robo and Robo Killer are probably the two most popular. Um, and they will block certain numbers. But again, because phone number spoofing is so easy, those phone numbers are just going to change up. And, you know, it's really hard to block. Uh, all of the major carriers, so Verizon, Sprint, AT&T, um, are, and T-Mobile are all building their own list um, that will alert you if it's a likely spam or scam call. Uh, in my experience, those are, you know, they work about 50% of the time. Uh, you know, the real, the tech solution that's going to work is going to take two or three years to implement and involves some very complex backend things where you basically uh, use something that's like a token to authenticate that every outbound call is from the phone number it says it is. And when you take an inbound call, it's actually coming from the real phone number that's attached to it. Uh, but you shouldn't expect to see that actually in place in the United States before 2020 or 2021. All right. Well, Jake, uh, I'm glad you joined us this morning via Skype, because if you ever call me, I'm not answering. It's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this morning. Not a problem. Up next, uh, Stephanie McNeil is going to talk to Tracy Sun, co-founder of the fashion resale site Poshmark. Here's a tweet from Constance Ann. Signed up for Poshmark to sell clothes, which I haven't been doing so much as I've been enjoying their positive affirmation push notifications. I'm joined now by Poshmark's co-founder, Tracy Sun, who has given us these push notifications and so much more. Tracy, thank you so much for joining I'm me. I'm so happy to be here. Tell me about these push notifications. Anyone who's signed up for Poshmark knows you get these notifications saying things like, you are golden. They're amazing. <laughs> Tell me, did you come up with that? Aren't they fun? We did come up with it. And um, really what we're doing there is just trying to be lighthearted and fun. Poshmark is a platform for people not just to make money and um, and to grow their business, but also just to connect with other people that are just like them. Um, and we like to just keep it really light and interactive and fun. That's definitely a good vibe for a company, I think. <laughs> but people are not just selling you know, clothes here or there on Poshmark. There are people, I would say mostly women, who have built entire businesses that's on right. Poshmark. Is that something that you envisioned? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's everything for us. Um, we are very focused on helping. Uh, it, it started with women, but now we've opened up our platform to men as well. So the, uh, our men uh, sellers are going very, very fast. But yeah, we, we build our platform. You start selling, and then we slowly teach you all the things you need to learn in order to build a business. And in some cases, before you know it, we have some sellers making over a million dollars a year. What is it like knowing that your platform not only, obviously, you're a female co-founder, you know, you're able to be out in the business world as a female entrepreneur, but also is creating so many female entrepreneurs and really giving women agency to start their own businesses in this way. It's such a dream for me to be able to do that. I love what I do so much. I love being an entrepreneur. Um, I love what I do every day at Poshmark. So to be able to give a piece of that to our 4 million plus sellers and say, you know, you can get up and determine your own destiny as well. I, it's everything for me. What do you think makes Poshmark unique? Because it is a very unique platform. You know, when I signed up for Poshmark for the first time to sell some bridesmaids dresses, I was shocked by, there's just this whole culture on Poshmark that is very much driven by the sellers. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's other retail, uh, retail resale sites like eBay, ThreadUp, et cetera. What do you think makes Poshmark so central, special, and how did you create that culture of the parties and the swaps and all of that stuff that really makes Poshmark a very interesting community? So I, I think you're right. We are very different from a lot of those other companies, and there's there's one main reason we're different. It's it's that there are people there at Poshmark, and uh, all the community members they're talking to one another. It's a very very interactive and social, uh, which is very different from most commerce sites or marketplace sites you see. So you come to Poshmark, yes, to sell or look for bridesmaids dresses, um, but also to get advice 
on style to discover new brands. And there are people around who are constantly sharing these things with you, inspiring you, helping you across all of your shopping needs. And that's something that's missing today in, in almost all e-commerce. You still get it in retail physical stores. So amazing, you go into a boutique and you get that personalized service about how to match your shoes or your dress and what, you know, what necklace to pair with that. So what we're doing with Poshmark is we bring all of those interactive social interactions online in our platform. And it gives women who might not have the capital to start their own boutique, you know, a physical store. Absolutely. The ability to start their own boutique in a different way online. Uh, so you studied neuroscience and psychology before you founded Poshmark, and you talked a lot about how you were interested by the psychology behind clothing in the fashion industry. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That's that's the theme for me. I'm just really curious about uh, consumers and what they're doing and why they're doing them. So it started with more on the academic science side, and then it moved to building fashion brands. Uh, with Poshmark, I'm now um, further pursuing the psychology of fashion through technology and really saying how can we use software to empower millions and millions of people. Um, and through this I've been able to explore so many different things like how the psychology touches product design, consumer experience, um, how to design a good customer service experience for this new way of shopping. So it's been a real journey for me but um, it's all fueled by my love of consumers. What is something you've learned about the psychology of fashion? Because I find it fascinating as well. Okay, so one thing that's, that is like a, a mantra at Poshmark is that um, fashion is not just about the transaction. It's not about the black dress or the jumpsuit. It's about how you feel when you're purchasing and how you feel when you wear it. Um, it's also about how you feel when you buy and sell it as well. So we've built our entire um, experience around um, empowering you and, and uh, allowing that emotion to come out. And if you just focus on the transaction, how much it costs, how much you sold it for, you're really missing the boat on um, the power of fashion. One of the things that a lot of the other entrepreneurs we've had on this series have talked about is it's hard when a lot of venture capitalists are men to get them to understand why their product would work. Did you experience that at all? I think we did, but you know, the truth is when, you're an, when you are an entrepreneur and you are trying to build something that doesn't exist today, it's not just the venture capitalists, it's everyone that hasn't yet come to understand what it is you're trying to do. So as a founder, I'm constantly pitching our vision, or at least in the early days, it was like, there's gonna be this social commerce platform where people are gonna talk to each other through their phones. Nobody quite understood it until we demonstrated more and more you know, what this world would look like. So I think to me, that's just been the life of being an entrepreneur and not necessarily exclusively just for fundraising, for example. Obviously, you've had a ton of success with your platform. Do you have advice for other uh, females who are starting out wanting to start their own businesses? Absolutely, uh, so much. Um, but I think my, my number one feedback is if you have an idea or you're starting out with your idea, um, keep at it. And it's, it's not easy and it's not always, the results don't always come right away. You have to keep at it for a little bit until you start to see um, some goodness happen. Tracy, thank you so much. I love Poshmark. I love checking it all out. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. More AM to DM is up next. <laughs> it's been such a long week. It's Friday. It's been such a long week. I saw it that tweet Friday. that you tweeted out that Carolyn had where it was earlier this week. Can you believe it was this week? We celebrated our oh. birthday and we actually had two young actors, actors, actors. playing us. Lesbians. Playing us as young, young, young usses. And now I need to bring in David Allen Greer to play me. That's how, <laughs> that's how yeah. I feel. I do want to say again, you know, it's been a long week for us. Uh, it's been hard, but um, I know it's been way harder for many other people, right? Mm -hmm. And our thoughts are with you too, because there's a lot going on here. It's absolutely true. Uh, but we have a few more of your tweets uh, before we get to the weekend. Uh, we asked, of course, how you were feeling after yesterday's hearing. Maria joining us from Canada, lucky. You tweeted this, offering my love and support to all. I have a ball of rage and anxiety in the pit of my stomach. I live in Canada, but my feeling fear is that what is happening in the United States will have worldwide repercussions. 
Well, listen, Steve Bannon loves a trip to Europe, mm-hmm. girl. Mm-hmm. So you, you, it's, it's right. I mean, it's it, it's just all Brexit. It's just it's all over. You know, it's not contained into one place. It's not. It's not. Um, so yeah, thoughts with you, Canada. Shout out to you. Uh, we asked you what you are doing to take care of yourself. Princess Slaya says, I'm drinking lots of tea and honestly, sleeping a lot. My normal way of handling these emotions is like treating myself to good food, wine, and dessert, but I'm big broke, LOL. I may need to join hashtag indoor panic garden. It's a movement. It is a movement. It's a movement. Succulents are very affordable. Yeah, I was going to say, they're not that expensive. I've What I've learned, friends, mm. is that Potting, the pots mm. are the scam. Ooh. They're the expensive part. So get you the succulent and then maybe go on Amazon and get you a cheap terracotta pot. That's what I'm looking I'm thinking about art. I'll, I'll, I'll it's start. like frames. I'll start a newsletter. Frames, <laughs> frames are so expensive. Oh, yeah, true. frames are always so It's what you I'm keep it you. in. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Ms. Jonesy had to say. Uh, oh, you're knitting lace. Man, that sounds hard. Uh, catching up on podcasts, reading for book club. I anticipate soup this weekend. Mm. Soup will yeah. save us. Yeah. Maybe. We had a lot of soup love on the show this week. A lot week. of soup. Listen, at the end of the day, please take care of yourself this weekend. Really um, make some space for yourself. And if you have the strength, some space for others in your life True. as well. True. We want to say thank you, of course, to you guys for watching this week. And thank you to our guests, Jessica Valenti, Torini Party, Juanita Broderick, David Allen Greer, Jake Swergen, and Tracy Sun. And let's talk about our guests from next week. Tom Morello, Jamila Jamil of The Good Place, The Bad Place, I- The In-Between Place, The Philosophical <laughs> Place, Christian Siriano, wonderful designer, and gay icon, Deborah Messing will be here. Shout out to her. That's a hell of a lineup. That's a, that's a lot going on. We're going to do I'm it. I'm gayer just for reading that lineup. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Anyway, please have a wonderful weekend. You absolutely deserve it. We'll see you on Monday, assuming America's still here. Mm-hmm.